You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. The following is a recording of the Ayn Rand Institute's Philosophy for Living on Earth webinar series. Sign up to attend the next webinar live at bit.ly forward slash ARI webinars. What's Wrong with Virtue Signaling by Ben Baer. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Living on Earth, coming to you live from the Ayn Rand Institute. This is a weekly video series where we explore big questions about life and our world today and proposals for answering those questions uh, by applying the ideas of Ayn Rand. Uh, my name is Ben Baer. The question we're going to discuss this week today is what's wrong with virtue signaling? Uh, virtue signaling is a pejorative term thrown around by a lot of pundits. You see it a lot on social media. What, if anything, is wrong with it and why? So the format uh, for today I'm going to use is I'm going to give a presentation that will be around 20 minutes. Then we'll open it up for Q&A and discussion. Privileged to be joined today by my colleague at ARI, Paul Task, who's going to be moderating and perhaps joining in with uh, the Q&A. So what is wrong with virtue signaling? Before we can figure that out, if there's anything wrong with it, we first need to get an idea of what the heck virtue signaling is even supposed to be. And I thought it would be fun to take a look at one thinker who uses this criticism a lot to see what he thinks it is and why he thinks there's something wrong with it. And a really good representative here is Dr. Jordan Peterson. Uh, I have a clip I'd like to show you in which Dr. Peterson comments on uh, virtue signaling. I should say he doesn't actually use the phrase in this clip, uh, but he uses the phrase elsewhere. And in the clip, he says similar things about uh, it as he says elsewhere. So take a listen to what Jordan Peterson has to say. So, so Dr. Peterson, you talk about this idea of ending unnecessary suffering and this idea of committing one's life to that. At a minimum, I mean, that's At just an obvious yeah. thing that you could do. A lot of students, I think, accept that premise and view what they're doing as trying to eliminate or reduce unnecessary suffering. And they see activism or other forms of direct service as fulfilling that goal. Do you simply disagree with like the content of what they think, the, the tactic that they are using to end unnecessary suffering? Or do you think that their motives or their intentions are really not even question, the same as yours? By the way, here's his answer. Uh, it's too public. You know, there's this, there's this, old, there's this old saying from the, from the New Testament about not praying in public, hmm. right? And the idea is that if you're going to commune for the higher good, you should do it in private because otherwise you're warping your ethic in some sense by demonstrating how virtuous you, virtuous you are to the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I'm, you go out there with a stick and a sign on it that says I'm against poverty. It's like, yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> really? Like, who's, who's for poverty? No one's for poverty. So it's, 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 it's an abdication of responsibility with the mask of social virtue. You want to solve difficult problems, you figure out how to get along with your brother, the one you've been fighting with for five years, or see if you can staple your family back together. See if you can stop fighting with your girlfriend and have a relationship that lasts for more than two weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there are things that you should be doing in the confines of your own life that are private and humble. That would, that would constitute genuine accomplishments. And those are the things that you should attend to. And no one's gonna come along and say, hey, you know, good job, you're, you're changing the world. Because it's, it's private, but it's real. And then people don't do that. And so, no, I don't, I don't trust the activist, I, I don't trust the activist ethos at all. Hmm. I, think it, I think everything about it is, is superficial and, hmm. and trendy and, and too easy and, and it externalizes the blame. The evil is always elsewhere, which mm -hmm. is a dreadful mistake to make because the evil isn't elsewhere. That's, that's the thing that you understand when you're wise hmm. is the evil is not elsewhere. It's you because you're not everything you could be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you should work on that before going and telling someone else that maybe they're not who they should be. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, I, so I don't buy it. It's too easy. It's far mm -hmm. too easy and it's too public. Mm -hmm. And it's too self-congratulatory. And then there's the murderous, like, Marxist element, which, you know, I'm always often inclined to mention. Okay, so 
I think that gives a pretty good summary of the phenomenon that he's commenting on, that he's criticizing, and also pretty good indication of what his reasons uh, for objecting to it are. And let me just take a moment to summarize those. Uh, part of what he, he says virtue signaling is, is taking a very public stance. You're criticizing someone or praising, usually criticizing people publicly. Uh, it's in a way that's a little too easy, he thinks, very easy to do. But it draws attention to you and, and to your views, which you think are right. And that's why it's sometimes called virtue signaling. What is wrong with this kind of behavior, according to somebody like Peterson? Why do they criticize it? Well, he, he's very clear. Uh, first of all, it's not just the message that he's critical of, though I think he's also critical of that. It's the motive that he judges to be behind the message. He thinks virtue signalers, so-called virtue signalers, are too self-righteous and that this warps whatever virtue they have uh, because it's so focused on the self, demonstrating your own virtue. He thinks real virtue is actually pretty hard to achieve. It's, it, it's even maybe painful, and so it shouldn't be seen as too easy. And for that and other reasons, it's ineffective. Uh, in part, he says, you should focus on fixing your own problems first. Uh, your relationships, your your work life. Why are you then? Why are you trying to focus so much on the rest of the world? So, those are the reasons that Peterson objects to this phenomenon. I can tell you, I've read a lot of other uh, articles by people who criticize virtue signaling for very similar reasons. So there's a there's a there's a viewpoint here. There's a common viewpoint here, and the question is, should we? actually criticize virtue signaling in the way and for the reasons that uh, are commonly held. I'm going to start by saying that I think that many of the kinds of behavior that people criticize as virtue signaling actually do deserve criticism. And there's a point to what people like Peterson are saying. And so I understand in part what they're getting at. And I want to give some examples of cases where I think it's pretty obvious that criticisms deserved. Peterson talked about this focus on the self. And there's a, there's a kind of focus on the self that I, that I understand why he'd want to criticize. And it's, it's plain old fashioned vanity. The person in question doesn't really care about the issue at stake. They just want to look good in the eyes of other people because they think they'll look good if they take this position. You know, so for example, uh, when, when Paris Hilton tweets in support of climate change activism, it's a little hard to take her seriously, uh, both because she regularly flies around in private jets, which contribute a lot of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. But you know, she's also otherwise pretty well known for her vanity. She's always trying to get people to look at her. This is just one more adornment, basically, for her outfit. Though I guess the question I would ask in cases like this is, if this is what we're talking about, the, the vain celebrity tweeter, is the criticism here uh, that they're signaling virtue? Why not just criticize them for their vanity? Why do we need to bring in this additional criticism of well, they're also virtue signaling? There's another example of a case where I think it's, it's pretty clear there's something worth criticizing. Uh, but the question is, is the right way to criticize it, to criticize it as virtue signaling? regular old cases of hypocrisy, uh, criticizing people who don't practice what they preach. So for example, uh, think about Harvey Weinstein. Uh, he's a person who cultivated an image prior to the recent revelations, uh, cultivated an image as a supporter of women and women's rights and raised money for women's causes and for planned parenthood. Meanwhile, of course, we know that he that, at least the allegations strongly suggest he was engaging in a pattern of sexual harassment, maybe even uh, sexual assault. So if, if you had reason to think that somebody had this kind of hypocrisy, there's definitely something to criticize about when they preach without practicing. Though again, the question is, given how much there is to criticize here, why do you also need to criticize their virtue signaling? Why not just say, he's a hypocrite? It's a well-tested, well-worn concept. We know what the meaning of it is. We know who it applies to. Last example 
where I think criticism is definitely warranted. And that's when the kind of uh, judgment or pronouncement or public stance that's being taken is tribalistic. Uh, this is where a person uh, really maybe, maybe does uh, have some kind of, uh, they, they really actually practice what they're saying, but what they're saying is not something that comes from any deep ideological, intellectual understanding or commitment or principle. Instead, it's coming from basically just a reactive kind of conformity to a person's, to a person's peer group, to their identity group, as they say these days. An example that I like to give here is the controversy about Chick-fil-A. Now, many of the people who spoke out uh, against Chick-fil-A or boycotted them did so because they objected to the donations that it gave to various causes that opposed same-sex marriage. Now, right now, I am not taking any position. I'm on the same-sex marriage issue, or I'm not even saying you should or you shouldn't boycott companies like this for their position on an issue like this. I'm simply making an observation about the nature of the controversy, which I think had some signs of tribalism in a way that uh, can be criticized for virtue signaling. And that's because, look, why did they single, why did they single out Chick-fil-A? There, there are lots of companies, aside from Chick-fil-A, that give money to organizations that take similar stances. Organizations like the Salvation Army, but nobody was organizing a boycott to protest the Salvation Army. How many companies donate money to the Catholic Church, which has the exact same stance? Many, many. Nobody wanted to boycott them too. But for some reason, it was very easy and fashionable to protest a Southern fast food company uh, that in addition to having this position also symbolized uh, everything about the kind of red state culture that members of the blue state tribe like to oppose. And then of course the red state people rallied around Chick-fil-A as their symbol. So I think this was very tribalistic, whether it was the right thing to do or not, the way this protest happened was very tribalistic. And if you observe this happening and think these people are just trying to say, hey, I'm a member of this tribe, that's why I boycott Chick-fil-A. Uh, I can see why someone would criticize that for being kind of unprincipled and anti-intellectual. But all of that said, I think that some of the things that are criticized as virtue signaling are totally proper, or at least can be proper, and are very different from the kinds of behavior that are, the, the previous kinds of behavior that are criticized as virtue signaling. So what about a case where you're simply trying to persuade other people about the merits of your views. And maybe there's an occasion, a controversy to comment on where you can do that. What if you have some real principles that you really believe in, you have ideological intellectual conviction about it, and there's some opportunity to attract people's attention to your views, and, and you wanna do that so that you can convince them of your views. So here's one example of this kind of situation and someone who is still nonetheless criticized for virtue signaling. Like him or not, agree with him or not, uh, Senator Rand Paul is one of the more consistent advocates of so-called fiscal responsibility, the idea that the government should have a balanced budget, not overburdened taxpayers. And one way you can tell that he's pretty consistent about this is that he sometimes stands up for it even when it's an unpopular stance. So for instance, a bill was proposed, and I think eventually passed, that would spend a lot of taxpayer money on healthcare for 9-11 responders over the course of many, many decades. Paul was opposed to it, and he gave a speech about it. Now, leave aside for the moment the question of whether you agree or disagree with his position or his fiscal responsibility principle. If you do, then the problem is that he's got the wrong principle, he's got the wrong policy. But the problem then is not, as John Stewart argued, that Rand Paul was exercising or displaying fiscal responsibility virtue signaling. Those are uh, John Stewart's own words. What I wanna suggest is that a principled argument where you intend to persuade somebody 
And part of why you're doing that is because you want to attract attention to your views, which you think are right and good. This has nothing at all or nothing significant to do with vanity, with hypocrisy, with tribalism. Uh, it might still be wrong for other reasons, but uh, it, it's, there's only a superficial similarity uh, in the kind of motivations involved in those other cases we looked at and this kind of case. Second example, exercising enacting justice. So uh, some people have principles and they live according to their principles and they wanna see the rest of the world doing the same thing too. And they might look out at the world and see some people really offending against and violating their principles in really atrocious ways. And the point is not to try to persuade them to change their behavior. They're probably not going to listen, but you do want them to get the criticism they deserve. And you know that criticism can actually discourage or at least make it harder to practice evil or vice. And you also know that making criticism of vice encourages other people to make it too and helps you, helps them come to your side. So what happens when a bunch of white supremacists march in support of Confederate statues in Charlottesville, Virginia, a few years ago? Well, of course, a lot of people come out to condemn them. And I think rightly so, not just Democrats, but Republicans. And so Marco Rubio and a number of other Republican politicians condemned this act of white supremacy. And yet they were then criticized by a number of conservative commentators for so-called virtue signaling. Here I include people like John Ziegler and Bruce Thornton in Front Page Magazine, uh, who said, oh, Rubio's just trying to, uh, trying to virtue signal to impress the liberals and the Democrats. But look, taking a stand to defend values that matter to you is a very different thing from uh, being vain, from being a hypocrite, from being a tribalist, and doesn't deserve to be packaged together uh, as the same kind of phenomenon as the vanity, the hypocrisy, and the tribalism, which we previously criticized. Last example, where I think this criticism is unwarranted, and I had a hard time coming up with a single uh, good word to describe this, but the best I was able to come up with was rallying, as in trying to rally the troops or organize the troops. So you have some principles that you believe in and you act on them and you wanna take a stand on them. And you wanna see who takes a stand with you in a kind of I am Spartacus kind of moment. And interestingly enough, the best example I could come up with for our purposes of this today, it's Jordan Peterson himself. Jordan Peterson is someone who really believes in the principle of free speech. And he was opposed, and this is how he became famous, he was opposed to Canadian law that would punish people for using preferred uh, gender pronouns. And, so, and, he, and as a result, he did a very public series of videos explaining why he opposed them. Even though, by the way, he said he would use preferred pronouns in the right situations, he just didn't think that he should be forced to do it by law. And again, you might think that he's mistaken here, but he is standing on an important principle and to great effect. I mean, this got him huge international media attention. Thousands of people went to his lectures. They bought his books. This made him a lot of money. Uh, but the fans also got, his fans also got something very meaningful from it, or at least that's what they, that's what they say. Uh, and that gives him in turn an even bigger platform on which to defend his values. Peterson was doing most of what he himself criticizes as virtue signaling. But I should emphasize that I'm not saying that this makes him some kind of hypocrite. I'd, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, I think, in fact, there's a difference between his behavior uh, and the behavior, kind of behavior he criticizes, even though it formally fits his definition. It's a difference that's big and that he doesn't maybe appreciate speaking out self-righteously to attract attention to your views can actually make a difference in the world. And it can gather a group of people uh, around an idea, not just some kind of tribalistic cause. And again, you know, even if you disagree with Peterson's idea and his position, uh, what he's doing here is, is 
I think nothing like what was happening in the other cases of tribalism that are sometimes criticized as virtue signaling. I should say that I think there's one difference between what Peterson did to gain notoriety and what other virtue signalers are sometimes uh, doing, so-called virtue signalers are sometimes doing. And that's that, well, what he did took a little bit more courage. It was hard, it wasn't easy. There was a law that he was saying he was going to break. Now he did have tenure uh, and he was speaking within the context of an academic system, which helped. But I think what this actually points to is imagine if the silent majority, and there often are silent majorities on controversial cases like this. Sometimes I think silent majorities who are right. Imagine if they actually spoke out before the, the law is passed, before the worst injustice happens, when it was easier. If they were to speak out, then people like Peterson wouldn't have to be in this situation and take very risky stands to try to reverse the unjust decision that was already made. And that's all the more reason to take the easier stance. So to start to sum up, I wanna urge that when you're looking at the kinds of cases that are criticized as so-called virtue signaling, uh, and I put so-called, I say so-called because I am keeping this idea in quotes. I don't know what to think about this concept at all, but there's certain things it's criticizing that should be criticized, certain things that it's criticizing that shouldn't be criticized. And I think what's important to distinguish there are the cases of principled versus unprincipled judgments. We're offered a whole package of different kinds of things uh, as representative of virtue signaling but they're actually very different. We need to unpack them. Some of them like vanity, hypocrisy, and tribalism are actually forms of unprincipled moral judgment and they are worth criticizing. But if what you're criticizing are people's attempt to persuade, people's attempt to take a stand in favor of justice, people's attempt to rally the troops in defense of a principle, uh, I don't see any interesting similarity between these and the other kinds of cases that are criticized as virtue signaling. And I don't think they should be criticized as such. The fact that this concept virtue signaling lends itself so easily to criticizing them makes me wonder about the worth of this concept. I will close with this thought that making a principle judgment, one of the reasons I think it's important and effective is because it requires you to take pride in your actual values. Virtue signaling is criticized because it's too self-righteous. There's too much focus on the self, but there's different things you might mean by focusing on the self. It, uh, vanity is something that deserves to be criticized, but the proper alternative to vanity is not to be humble as Peterson urges us to be. The proper alternative to vanity is to take proper pride, to take your values seriously, as opposed to like the vain person being insecure about how you look to other people. Uh, and in fact, I think many critics of virtue signaling are against it because they think pride is a sin. It's not an accident that P Peterson opens with that Bible story and that many other criticisms of virtue signaling come from a religious perspective. But why think that pride is a sin when you've earned it? What if you aren't fighting with your brother? What if your relationship with your girlfriend is good? What if you have and you live by some genuine moral principles? Then I think you deserve to ask the world to live up to them too. And you shouldn't be criticized for virtue signaling. Okay, so let me just uh, wrap up with a few suggestions for places to explore these ideas a little further. Uh, I would suggest, first of all, taking a look at The Virtue of Selfishness. This is a book that does not regard humility as a virtue. It does regard pride as a virtue. It does regard justice as a virtue and for selfish reasons that are regarded as virtuous. I also, re I also suggest taking a look at Dr. Leonard Peikoff's book, Objective is in the Philosophy of Ayn Rand, which has got a really good chapter on Rand's conception of moral virtue and really good subsections on the virtues of justice and of pride. Ah, zooming in a little bit on virtue selfishness book, there's an essay in there, how does one lead a rational life 
in an irrational society, which uh, elaborates on the topic of the importance of moral judgment uh, in, line of, uh, in the line of what I've been talking about. And I'll also refer you, if you like something even shorter, uh, a few weeks ago, my colleague Ilan Giorno gave uh, one of these webinars on the topic, Should You Judge Other People? Uh, elaborating on some of the themes in that essay of Ayn Rand's, How Does One Lead a Rational Life in an Irrational Society? So those are definitely some things to consider and explore. I'd like to call your attention to next week's webinar. Uh, speaking of Elon Giorno, he's going to be uh, doing a, a webinar on why should I care at all about Israel, a topic that Elon's written a book on. And uh, the format's going to be a little new. This is going to be more of an interview format compared to you know, di a little different from the previous formats we've been using. Uh, also like to take a moment to do a quick poll for those of you who are in Zoom. Uh, we like to find out who it is that's watching these, watching these webinars. We uh, are looking to introduce people to Ayn Rand's ideas. And so we want to know if you're uh, familiar with them already and if so, how familiar. So I'll leave this uh, survey question up for those of you who are in Zoom. Uh, take a chance to answer that quickly if you could. And otherwise, I'll just suggest if there's a big question about life and or about the world today that you'd like us to try to tackle in this uh, series, please send us an email at webinars at einrand.org and we'll, we'll we definitely look at all these suggestions and we have done some of them already. Uh, so I hope to hear more from you. Uh, so now is the time where we will open it up for questions. Uh, Paul Task, you out there? Hi, Ben. Hi, Paul. So I thought your presentation was really interesting, and I'd like to ask you a question to start things off. It sounds like there are good and bad aspects to this thing we're calling virtue signaling. And so fans of Ayn Rand might automatically be tempted to call this out as a package deal, something that she talked about in a few different places. Could you maybe for the people that are newer to Rand's ideas, explain what she means when she calls something a package deal, and then say whether or not you think virtue signaling fits into that category? Good, it's a really good question. And it's definitely true that I was, what I was trying to do in this presentation was to unpackage some kind of package deal using uh, the kind of methodology that Rand suggests. So in her view, she, you, you know, a package deal is in, in commerce. So somebody sells you a bill of goods and maybe you wanted some things, but you didn't want all of them. And you're left with more than you wanted, more than you needed. And she thinks that there's something similar that happens in discourse and in, in cognition. Uh, people will accept uh, that a number of issues or, or objects should be classified together with each other usually because there is some kind of superficial similarity among them. Uh, but her criticism is that it's a superficial similarity uh, and one that doesn't tell you very much and therefore one that isn't very cognitively useful. Um, and so uh, sometimes she says that package deals are embodied in, 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 in single uh, putative concepts. And so there's a question in my mind of, is the concept of virtue signaling itself a package deal? Now that's something I actually think I need to think through more, but there can be legitimate concepts that are used in a way that involves a package deal. And so part of the reason that I framed this discussion as uh, this kind of criticism of various kinds of behavior as so-called virtue signaling uh, seems to lump together different things. If you regard all of those things as bad just because they involve virtue signaling, uh, just because they involve taking a public stance in a way that's easy and attracts attention to your views, my suggestion is, yeah, the, all, all the examples we talked about day, today do have that in common, but it's a relatively superficial kind of similarity. The fact that you take a public stance that attracts attention, well, there could be good reasons you have for doing that, or pretty bad reasons that you have for doing that. Healthy reasons, unhealthy reasons, reasons that are motivated by uh, ideological you know, and intellectual principles, as opposed to very uh, anti-intellectual reasons. And so if there's a criticism of all of those things as bad, just because a person's taking a public stance, I think that does involve some kind of package deal fallacy. And uh, that fallacy needs to be refuted and, 
and the package needs to be unpackaged. And that's what I was trying to do in this webinar. Yeah, thanks. I think that provides some good clarity for people about this packaging together that is often, that often occurs. Um, Steve asks a question about whether when someone is virtue signaling, it means that they're more interested in what others think of their taking the moral stance than the validity of the stance they're taking itself. Do you care to comment on that? Well, I mean, part of what he might be thinking about there is the kind of vanity cases that I was analyzing. And I mean, these are the kinds of cases where uh, I think there's something definitely worth criticizing. If you don't really care about the cause or the issue, it's just that you know other people care about it and you want them to like you. Uh, I mean, that's what Ayn Rand called second-handedness, if you, if you take a look at The Fountainhead. Um, I mean, in a way, uh, Peter Keating in The Fountainhead is, is, is the ultimate virtue signaler. It's like the, he's the worst example of that you could ever find. I still don't think you should call you know, criticize him for that. You should criticize him for being a second-hander. You should criticize him for not having any self-esteem, for not being an independent thinker. Um, uh, the fact that he's uh, trying to draw attention to his way of thinking uh, isn't very helpful. I mean, if you think about it, Rourke is trying to draw attention to his right way of thinking. He's trying to get clients. He's, and, and not everybody here perhaps has read The Fountainhead, but uh, it's a story about these two architects. And one of them is a uh, one of them is a, someone who's committed to his own artistic principles. That's Rourke. And the other one is somebody who kind of just goes with the flow, goes with whatever's fashionable uh, because it's popular. And yeah, Rourke would like to attract attention to his own architectural ideas. He would like to find clients. He would like more people to build buildings like him. And he, he gives, you know, he goes, to, he, how about, you know, this, the various stunts that he pulls, he, uh, he you know, blows up a building. <laughs> to attract attention to his right way of thinking. Is, is that virtue signaling? Uh, if so, is it bad? Uh, I mean, at least not in the view of the author of the novel and the author of the novel thinks there's some really big and important differences between Rourke and Keating. Yeah, and so in the different ways that people use virtue signaling, Jennifer wants to know whether it's just used as an accusation to shut down dissent that people often bring to these different issues. I think that that is often the case. So like I said, you know, sometimes I think there's something worth criticizing there, but uh, even in the cases where there is something worth criticizing, one of the reasons I'm suspicious of this concept is that it, it shuts down the discussion in an unhelpful way. So Paris Hilton, uh, is a, is, a, is a vainglorious person who just wants to attract attention to herself. Therefore, don't listen to her views about climate change. Okay, but that then leaves unaddressed the question of, well, what should we think about climate change? Uh, what's wrong with the position that she's advocating? If somebody who was more serious about the issue came forward, what would you say to them? So it, it definitely, it's, it's a way of shutting down a discussion and not having to think about the issues that are actually being raised. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I agree with Jennifer that there's, that is one of the concerns I have about this, hurling this accusation so readily at people in the way that they do. Sam asks a really good follow-up question um, about how we judge people who are engaging this virtue signaling and whether or not they have any more depth to their statements. Can you provide any guidance on this about how we judge whether or not people are engaging in these ideas thoughtfully and, and trying to put forward a stance or just shutting down dissent like Jennifer said? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the real question should be, is this person coming from a principled perspective? And there are ways to figure that out. I mean, you can look to see you know, does this person have a consistent position? Uh, do they, uh, do they, or do they have a double standard? I wrote an article um, a couple of years ago about uh, tribalism in politics. And you know, one of the things that I observed was when Donald Trump went to North, went to meet the leader of North Korea, many of Trump's fans were cheering for it 
And this perplexed me because I think many, and I, in the article, I even looked up some of the very same commentators who praised Trump for diplomacy with uh, this dictator. But just a few years prior, when President Obama went to meet with Raul Castro, they condemned him for going to meet with a, foreign, with a dictator who was opposed to America. And there's just, there's no way to understand that behavior that I can think of uh, that involves, oh, there's some really important difference between these cases and there's a different principle applied in each case. No, it's, there's a different team in charge now and you're on the, you're on the side of the team that's in charge and you're, and you're, you're part of that tribe. Uh, and it's, it's not coming from a position of some genuine intellectual commitment. It's you want to conform to what your peers are saying and doing, and you don't want to be the one to rock the boat. So I think you look to, you know, how consistent is the person uh, on the positions they advocate? Uh, how, how do they practice? Do they actually practice what they preach? Can they give actual reasons for their position or, or do they simply use various slogans to shut down discussion? Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes the fact that people are using the virtue signaling criticism at all is itself a sign of uh, tribalism on their part, uh, especially since showing how good you are at calling out the virtue signaling of somebody else is itself a way of quote unquote virtue signaling, but in a way I think that's bad. Maybe we could take one example that you raised in your presentation uh, the Chick-fil-A example, you've called that an instance of very tribal virtue signaling, people taking stances based on certain political ideologies, perhaps. And maybe you could flesh out a little bit of what you think a proper response and a proper criticism of Chick-fil-A would look like and whether it would have any sort of broader implications. Yeah, so I mean, the only, like I said, I was, I was trying not to actually take a stand on the issue itself. But let's say that you really did disagree with Chick-fil-A's uh, uh, support for these causes uh, that are against same-sex marriage. And suppose you had good reason uh, for thinking that. Well, then I think, yeah, you, you would have to consider, well, why am I sing singling out just this one company? Are there other companies that I should be singling out to? And you might decide, yeah, I should, I should do a general boycott. Now, once you, once you think about how general that boycott might need to be, you might have second thoughts. Well, gee, that's a lot of places I'm not gonna be able to shop or, or, or patronize. So is that really practical? And do I, are there maybe better ways to stand up for my values than, than that? Now, I can even think of a situation where you say to yourself, look, I know that it's impractical to do a general boycott of all the companies, but here's a case where there's there's a lot of attention that can be drawn to the cause and I agree with the cause and that's why I'm focusing on them. But then that should be part of your explanation and that should be part of what you're saying to people. And, but then a consequence is since, since you know it is just a symbol, uh, you're then also not going to like morally condemn everybody who gets lunch at Chick-fil-A someday just because they didn't have time to engage in your kind of symbolism, because maybe they just liked the food and it was quick and convenient. Um, so uh, you have to just look at what does it mean to be intellectually serious about one of these kinds of controversies? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not saying you should never boycott or that you should boycott uh, in these kinds of cases. I'm saying the way that people actually approached this kind of boycott to me made it look like they just wanted to show their friends that they were on the same side on this cultural issue. Uh, and that it, it wasn't really one uh, position that was coming from any uh, genuine uh, kind of uh, commitment to making change happen, happen or thinking about what is necessary for change to happen, things like that. Robertus is asking in the chat whether or not Jordan Peterson's conception of virtue signaling is somewhat similar to an ad hominem attack, or you know, if, if I'm understanding his question correctly, he's asking if there's a similarity between this virtue signaling and making an ad hominem smear on someone else. I think that's a very good point. 
And uh, the way that I set it up at the end was, well, what if you don't have the problems in your personal life that you need to fix? What if you don't fight with your brother and you have a good relationship with your girlfriend? Uh, why shouldn't you then go out and expect people to also follow these good moral principles? But I, I also think there's a point that, that Robertus is raising that, that the fact that you're not perfect doesn't mean you shouldn't try to be perfect. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't ever ask other people to try to become perfect. Uh, it may, I mean, why can't we say, yes, in fact, you should improve things in your life. Uh, and there are also cases where you should stand up for your beliefs in addition to that. Uh, you know, it's probably true that if your life is so filled with problems, uh, you have terrible relationships and, and you're, you know, no job or whatever, you just don't have time to be, you know, getting into arguments with people about things. Um, and in that case, you know, best left to the professionals who uh, do this kind of thing for a living. Um, but the fact that if, if, if your life isn't a mess and there's just things that you could work on to improve things, yeah, you should still be uh, thinking about your life in the world and what other people are doing in the world. And, and one important thing I was trying to stress at the end about the importance of pride and the connection between moral judgment and pride is that these aren't really separate issues because this whole private versus public uh, uh, division is, I think, artificial. One of the good reasons to take stands on important issues, uh, whether it's, you know, like, really public or just, you know, with your group of friends, is that when you speak out in whichever form you do it, it's a way of making your own values real to you. It's a way of saying, no, this is actually something I care about and I care enough about it that I don't want my view to go unheard. It's a way of reaffirming to yourself that these are important and a way of reminding yourself to live up to these uh, values in your own life. And this is part of the reason why one of the you know, most memorable lines from that essay of Ayn Rand's, how, how does one live a rational life in an irrational society, is judge and prepare to be judged. So you're going to judge other people, but then they're going to judge you. And they're going to judge whether you're being consistent with the very principles that you're claiming to stand for. Uh, but the alternative is, you know, what, what's the alternative? It's, it's to like, well, I'm not perfect, so I'm never going to judge anybody. That's That's judge not lest they be judged. And that's exactly the religious uh, view that pride is a sin that Ayn Rand is opposing in that essay. Steve asks in the chat um, another question. I think it goes back to this issue of a package deal that we discussed a little bit earlier and whether or not you could ever be virtue signaling anonymously or whether some key aspect of this term has to do with, you know, putting your face to the statement you're making, whatever it might be? Well, certainly the behavior that's criticized because of its virtue signaling, it's pretty essential that it be in some kind of public forum. Because they're, they're criticizing people for saying, you're trying to draw too much attention from other people to yourself. Uh, and at the same time, some of the things that I'm saying uh, are actually good but which are criticized as virtue signaling. Uh, part of what's important about them is that they are public, is that you're taking a stand so that other people hear you, so that you can show that it's really real, that you wanna speak up to other people. Um, and you know, part of what I'm arguing is that whether it's a public criticism, public stance or not, isn't really something that tells you whether it's good or bad. It could mean that it's, it's good in some cases, bad in other cases, uh, but that is at least the, the, the the package that the critics of virtue signaling are trying to make. There's something about public stances that's worthy of criticism. I'm saying sometimes yes, sometimes no. Do you think that there might be better ways that people could stand up for their values um, than, than just calling them out on the internet? You know, if, if they were trying to really make a difference, yeah. what, would, what would that I mean, mean, so, but part of the reason why I think that, um, there's a legitimate thing that Peterson's criticizing is that there is something wrong with hypocrisy where uh, you preach a certain doctrine 
and don't actually live up to it in your own life. And one thing for sure is that you will be a much better advocate for your views if you're actually living in accord with them. So just, you know, posting a bunch on Facebook or whatever uh, is not going to change the world, if, especially if it's coming from somebody who everybody knows could stand to, you know, clean up his life. Um, the better you do at living according to your ideas and then prospering to the extent that you live in accordance with them, more people are going to want to know what, are, what makes this guy tick? Uh, what are his values? And then when he has, when this person has something to say about his values, they'll say, oh, I take that much more seriously that he said that uh, given what I know about him. Uh, I actually did a talk a few years ago. Uh, it's on YouTube right now. Uh, it's called uh, Spreading Objectivism by Living It. And uh, this is obviously a talk directed to people who agree with Ayn Rand's philosophy already, but it's making the same basic point. It's, it's saying, you know, the best spokesmen are the people who, who live and prosper from the ideas that they practice. They're the ones people are going to want to listen to. They're the ones who are going to you know, persuade people to read books and look into the ideas that they're preaching about. If you're just some uh, Yahoo on the internet or anonymous person on the internet, why should anybody care to listen to you? But still, it's important to be listened to and it's important to, to speak, uh, especially if you've done the other work. And I should say, I mean, Peterson himself later on in that interview, um, it says something to that effect. So he himself doesn't think anybody who takes a public stand on anything uh, is, is worthy of criticism. He says, you got to grow up and you got to, you got to, you know, get some experience and then maybe people uh, will listen. And he has in mind kind of uh, public policy, uh, politician type figures. Uh, and so I'll give him some credit there, but you wouldn't know that from the first thing he says, right? Because it, it, it does come off as saying, you have to be perfect before you can ever bother uh, making any kind of criticism. And I do think that that is coming from the kind of Christian worldview that regards pride as a sin and says, we're all sinners, we're all victims of original sin, therefore, who are we to judge? And that has to be pushed back against. Yeah. And so when we're evaluating these things, Barry in the chat brings up a, an important point that it requires evaluation and observation. Um, so. So how much effort should people put into evaluating these kind of, you know, virtue signaling claims that they see online or, or maybe they experience them in real life? How much effort should they put into understanding and unpacking these things? Well, I thought he was actually asking a slightly different question, um, though it's related. I thought that what Barry was asking was uh, not so much about whether the people who are accusing others of virtue signaling are engaging in the proper rational evaluation. But uh, it was more a question about the people that they're making accusations against. So part of what there is to criticize is people who make evaluations and then they, and then they you know, make a public stance of their evaluations without actually engaging in a rational process of evaluation. And where the major method of doing that is invoking some rational principles and then doing it consistently. And so, yeah, I mean, part of the reason that there's something to criticize there is that some people are engaging in unprincipled moral judgment, and others are engaging in principled judgment. Uh, and you need to distinguish between those two. Um, And this is one of the themes that uh, Elon sounds in his, uh, his webinar on the topic of judging other people. You know, when you say it's important to judge other people, it's really important you realize what, that, what responsibility that entails. It entails responsibility of being scrupul scrupulously logical and objective in your assessment of the evidence of another person's character and not treating it lightly. If you're going to judge someone, you better damn well know what you're talking about and have evidence in favor of your position. And then if you don't and you judge anyway, yeah, prepare to be judged. Uh, and I should, but like I said, I, you, you asked the question about what about the people who are criticizing people for virtue signaling. 
same issue applies to them, right? Um, I think that some of them don't have any principle that they're using uh, to make this criticism aside from some, something they absorbed, uh, you know, at church about why we should be humble and not be proud. If there's a, if there's a principle there, it's that, but then how much are they actually thinking about that principle? How much could they be thinking about it, given that they're so excited and vociferous about condemning other people's virtue signaling, which is as rank hypocrisy as, as, you, could, as you could imagine. So again, I don't think that's the case with Peterson, because I think the kind of thing he's criticizing for virtue signaling, for the most part, probably does deserve criticism. And, uh, but just don't use that way of conceptualizing it, and he'll be more or less consistent, at least on this issue. There's other things that I don't agree with him about. I, I certainly don't agree with Peterson about everything. That isn't clear, um, especially, you know, the kind of religious influence that's, that's, I think, infiltrating and influencing his view on this issue. Do you care to comment? There's a question in the chat about even though our culture has this kind of taboo on on judgment per se but people are still very eager to to judge people for virtue signaling and why that might occur why people specifically why virtue signaling triggers this sort of judgment yeah um the, well this this relates to an issue that i only sort of touched on but uh, could have said more about is related to what i touched on at the end uh, about why pride is regarded as a sin and humility as a virtue. I think part of the reason why it's so easy for people to use this criticism to shut down discussion is because it, it comes off as saying, this person's being selfish. They only care about themselves. And so that's the perspective I think that Peterson's coming from when he says, this is warping your virtue. How can you actually be virtuous if the way you're trying to be virtuous is by doing something to attract attention to yourself. But the assumption there is that anything that serves yourself is immoral, which is itself a view that, again, comes from that Judeo-Christian worldview. But why accept that? Uh, why, why not think that there are moral principles, the reason that we need moral principles and virtues is to live a happy and successful life of flourishing in a human way. Um, obviously, this is a much bigger issue that we can't go into much detail about, but I did already refer people to Ayn Rand's book, The Virtue of Selfishness. Obviously, she disagrees with that predominant view, but I mean, I think one of the reasons why it's so easy to make this criticism is that people are comfortable criticizing anything that's pro-self. And that's because they've accepted this anti-self morality of self-sacrifice uh, that comes from, that comes from uh, the uh, religious tradition. It's, uh, it's part of also the reason why uh, it's so easy to criticize people for doing things that are easy. <laughs> uh, you're not suffering enough when you're making these kinds of judgments. Well, but why should I have to suffer? Uh, sometimes, it, doing the right thing is easy. And if more people did it when it was easy, it wouldn't be hard for other people later on. I think that's a really good point to bring us back to the morality aspect of, of our own culture and, and kind of see how this issue fits in there. Um, you know, there's another question I think that's interesting in the chat about whether you can use the feedback you're getting, you know, if you're being called out on your virtue signaling or, or just being called out in general, I suppose, to improve yourself or to question yourself and uh, whether or not Rand ever said anything about how to take other people's judgments. I don't remember if she did, but certainly that injunction of hers to judge and prepare to be judged at the very least implies that, yeah, you should listen to what people, what kind of criticism people are making of you. They might be onto something. <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard to judge yourself 
it's really hard to judge yourself because you can't get outside of yourself to see yourself. There's a old poem by Robert Burns, if we could see ourselves as others see us. Uh, and you'd be surprised what you could see. It's hard to be objective about who you are because you're, you're always there. You can't get distance. And other people's feedback is useful in this regard. It doesn't make it easy to listen to. You know, it's very easy to be defensive, but uh, after the moment passes, you know, think about what they say and think, is there a point to what they're saying? Maybe there's some advice I can take there to improve myself in the future. I think that's a good point about being sure to try to be objective about the feedback you're getting from other people. And Jennifer's asking in the chat, perhaps a, with a bit of a tongue in cheek, whether criticizing virtue signaling is in and of itself a form of virtue signaling. Yeah, I mean, I, this relates back to what I was saying before about how uh, I think that, that uh, the, the people who use this criticism are sometimes doing it out of a kind of uh, tribalistic attitude. So some of, the some of the people who criticize things for virtue signaling are themselves doing the thing that should sometimes be criticized if they're not coming from a, uh, uh, some kind of principle here. Um, but some of what, like, what am I doing right now? I'm calling out the people who are calling out people for virtue signaling. But I think this is consistent because I've admitted there's, there's two different kinds of things that we're talking about here. One of them is good, one of them is not so good. Uh, and my criticism is that some people aren't doing this out of principle. And I think that's coming out of a principle of my own, which is uh, the importance of uh, encouraging rational discourse uh, and principled thinking about morality. So we're running a little bit short on time, but I think we have time for just one quick short question um, about, you know, if we are able to conclude that someone or some company is virtue signaling for some sort of improper reason, what sort of response should we give to that person or company? <sighs> yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of examples of this. And I think it, I think it depends on a lot of different things. Um, so, you know, there are companies like Whole Foods who make a big deal about how they're environmentally sustainable and they try to get people to buy their stuff because of that. Um, in my case, at least, I, I don't care so much if, if, there's, if they're selling certain good products that add uh, value to my life. Uh, I don't care what other people's reasons are for buying the products. Um, so that's one kind of case, but then there's another kind of case. Uh, we work, for instance, made, made the headlines because, uh, they decided that they were going to only serve vegan, uh, meals at company functions. And you would only be able to expense vegan meals if you worked for WeWork. And there is a case where you're doing business with the company as if you're doing business with the company as an employee right? I would think it would be a bigger issue because, well, now you have, you're being expected to live according to these values and maybe you don't agree with them. Uh, and do you want to be a part of a team where this is the kind of thing that they're pushing on people? There's a difference I see there. Uh, and it's going to depend on what your values are, uh, on what good things you get from the relationship and on what the bad things are I mean, and how all these things fit into your own kind of hierarchy of values, how you prioritize things that are important in your life. Well, Ben, we're just about out of time. So if you have any final thoughts or closing comments you'd like to make. Uh, no final thoughts on this issue, but I will uh, take a moment quickly just to remind people about next week's uh, webinar. Again, uh, Ilan Giorno will be talking on, well, actually, he'll be being interviewed on the question, why should I care at all about Israel? This is a new format. We're going to be trying out for these webinars, interview style. Uh, one person, another person is going to ask Elon a bunch of questions on this issue. And this is something that I think 
Uh, Elon's a, a great person to be the first one to try this new format out because this is a topic he knows a whole lot about. He wrote a book about it, What Justice Demands. People might want to take a look at that. Otherwise, um, thanks everybody for joining us this week and I hope you got something from it. And uh, if you want to go and share the video of this, uh, you should know by the way that the uh, now it's not just on Facebook Live, but it's also on YouTube Live. So there's no time you have to wait for videos to be edited. It's also on Periscope. So you can go ahead and share these videos right away as soon as they're done. And I'm not gonna call you out for virtue signaling if you do it. I want to attract attention to these ideas. So thanks everyone and uh, see you all again sometime soon. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.